Hey, this is Chris. Before we get to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor. Anchor is our way of we record podcasts. Fantastic. Let me tell you why. It's easy. It's free. There are creation tools that we can record and edit your podcast right from your phone and your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on such um, providers as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need in a podcast and so much more. Check out Anchor, and you can find it all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Anchor, it's a fantastic way of creating your first podcast and making it work. Hey everybody, it is Monday, March 8th, and welcome to the Ohioan. I got, as always, Craig and Brandon with me. How are you guys doing today? Doing, doing well. well. All right. Happy Monday, I guess. Man, I'm actually a little late today. I woke up <coughs> early in the morning, caught, caught up on stuff. Uh, I think Brandon did that. You did that once last week where you woke up super early and you just never went back to bed. I did that today. I'm awake for now, but who knows? Probably by 7 a.m. I'll be dead. So near the end of the podcast, I can't talk, which I usually can anyway. Uh, please take over if I fall over. Hey, I'm just <laughs> tired. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But for now, I'm okay. So we're good to go. Um, lots to talk about today. I thought this was interesting. Um, COVID got some news over the weekend. Uh, some late news late last night. I don't know if you guys heard. There's a variant that opened in um, Brazil. They got confirmed by the CDC in Ohio. Uh, kind of developing story. Uh, we don't need to get that much into it, but it's it just more evidence that COVID's alive as well. And even though we had a shockingly low number of cases yesterday, it, it was like 730, there are reasons to be concerned. So these schools are going back <clears throat> to session. And Bexley uh, School in the, here in the Central Ohio area is requiring double masking which I thought was interesting. Uh, obviously, it's from a safety standpoint. Um, it's really not going to cost parents more. The second mask uh, is funded by CARES dollars. But I don't know. I could see that being a concern to some parents who aren't crazy about masking one time, let alone twice. Uh, Brandon, how did that strike you? Well, I mean, I'm glad to see Bexley take the lead on that. Um, you know, I think double – I tried to double mask, but – as my wife points out, I mean, it's great if you double mask, but it's more effective if everyone double masks. So, um, again, it's one of those things where you don't really have control. You don't really have the ability to, to entirely control to keep yourself safe. You know, you have to kind of, it's like a team effort. And at this point, you know, you, you're relying on people and your, whoever's in your vicinity at the grocery store or, or um, any other environment you put yourself in. Um, you know, you're relying on them to do the right thing, and that's not always the case. Um, I mean, and, you know, trying to ask people to do the right thing is probably just as risky. I mean, there was, like, a viral video of a Bed Bath & Beyond where a woman was, like, standing too close to uh, 
another per- woman in line and it ended up in a brawl. <laughs> but um, um, that is that is the re- reality we are in right now. I, I have not, and I think part of the reason why, I don't really go out that much. And if I go out, I'm usually just in the car and not walking around. How, how does the double masking feel? Now, obviously, safety is more important. I know it feels weird, but uh, is that hard to do? I mean, are you a little more constrained that way? or I, I'm just curious. I mean, I wear two different types of masks, I think, so it's probably, okay. it's like you feel, it's like more, and wintertime, it's like, oh, it's, you know, it keeps my face warm. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what else to say. You know, it's, it's like, um, in the summertime, it might be miserable. Who knows? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't really, it just, you know, one mask is weird, two masks, it's, you know, you're, if you're, you're, you're used to the first mask. So, um, I don't know. Nothing to add. Uh, yeah. Uh, Craig, 730 cases, which obviously is still 730 too many. Uh, the number appears to be going down. Uh, but obviously the variant uh, is a little scary, especially with the vaccine being out there. Uh, there's no guarantee that the vaccine could cover the variant. So where do you think that leaves us? I mean, I think we're in a more positive direction with vaccines, but with the variant, it seems like there's still a lot of uncertainty around there. Well, absolutely. And I think that, you know, we've we've heard this discussion, you know, for really a few months now that, yeah, the vaccine's coming, but it's not going to, you know, all them automatically return us back to normal. Um, you know, I know a lot of people, even Dr. Fauci, have said, you know, it's going to be, you know, wearing masks into the next year and, and maybe even beyond as as we, we try to get past this. And I, I think, you know, steps like what Bexley's doing, you know, it really helps in helping you know, tamp down as much as possible the, the the issue with COVID, whether it's a new variant or what we've seen for the last, you know, almost year now. So I think that, um, you know, double masking is obviously going to only going to help. Some people don't wear a mask at all. I've seen a lot of people wearing masks below their nose or whatever, below their mouths even, which I don't understand why you would have a mask on and then not wear it above anything. But, you know, we're still going to be wearing masks, even though our numbers are going down. It's very encouraging. But, you know, the more masking we have and the more social distancing we do, it's going to tamp down those numbers even more. And we'll hopefully get closer to being normal again here in the near future. My only concern is when this COVID thing first started, some of the most uh, some of the most insightful commentary I heard was we're going to make it where you're going to be comfortable either way. So, you know, some of the earlier in-school options said, okay, wear a mask, we'll social distance, you can go back to school if you want. You know, they were creating scenarios where it was safe if you went back. It was also it was definitely safe if you chose to stay home. Um, also in the workplace, um, you know, Craig, where you and I are working, um, you know, they're starting to talk about possibly going back and, um, one of our bigger papers is talking about coming back, but there's no timetable in place. And they made it clear saying, you don't have to come back when it comes back. I'm, I I guess the only thing that bugs me is like when Bexley's saying, and Bexley's just following state orders saying, okay, you have to come back. Well, I wish they still offered that option for kids that may not feel comfortable with double mask or whatever, where they could still do, um, you know, remote learning. Um, I, I don't like the, I mean, yeah, we got to go back to school sometime, 
But I don't like the idea where we're kind of saying, okay, kid, you got to go back. Okay, kid, you got to wear a double mask and everything. I, I don't know. Either one of you guys who want to jump in on this, why are we so hell-bent on getting these kids back to school and then we create these rules and everything? I, I, I just wish, I mean, it's 2021. I know we need to get more broadband dollars out there so more people get internet. But I, I'd say, why can't we offer both options instead of making kids go back and having them double mask? You know, let them stay home and do remote school if they can. Well, well, I would say. Oh, go ahead, Craig. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I, I was, was waiting. Just, I was like, Craig's gonna talk, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say that you know, I don't know how other schools have done it. I know up in our area, like the schools that I cover, you know, at the beginning of the year, kids had opportunities to either opt out of going to school, or you know, if they opted out the first semester and they want and they thought, okay, I'm I'm feeling okay, I can go back. They could have gone back into for the next semester. Um, now, I know that this is sort of a, a late change in the game, but, you know, maybe some districts have options where, you know, if kids want to opt out because they don't feel safe, they can. Maybe they don't. I don't really know that for sure. But, you know, I, I think, you know, we're asking kids to wear double masks. I know it's not fun. I know it's probably something that some people maybe might struggle with. But, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where maybe you could maybe opt out if you don't feel comfortable with it, you know, or whatever it may be. So maybe there are some other options. Who knows? All right, Brandon, we'll let you talk. <laughs> well, I mean, it was funny then I saw the times had a story. I didn't get the chance to read it, but um, saying like how there's sort of a, a sort of a dis, uh, discrepancy or a, um, a split different, a, a split difference of opinion between the scientists experts and the teachers and the parents um, or maybe in the schools, I guess, about um, most of the schools and teachers about um, whether it's safe to go back to um, back to the classroom, at least at the elementary school level. Um, scientists are saying it's totally fine. Um, and of course, unions and uh, teachers uh, alike are kind of hesitant to come back. I, I'm more of the opinion like um, it is. Kind, and this is sort of the frustration when people would get with science is just kind of like, um, explaining it in a very good lame in terms of why it's okay for children to possibly come back to the classroom, um, you know, and why it's okay for teachers to necessarily be exposed or, you know, uh, increase their um, risk of catching COVID. Um, I think that's, that's really, I can understand that. Um, I think um, a lot of parents, I know parents are frustrated. They want kids to go back to school because it is, <laughs> it is a way, it is a childcare well, free kind of, kind of free childcare in that sense, um, while they're at work or whatnot. And I'm sure it's kind of thrown a wrench in their day to day lives. But um, um, I do, I do, I do think you hit the nail on the head, Chris. Though about it's just comfort. Like, are we? What's the point of sending everyone back if not everyone's going to feel comfortable? If they're not feeling comfortable, they're not going to. The children aren't going to learn well if they're not. If the teachers aren't comfortable, they're not going to teach well. And I think um, that is a a, 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 um, um, a perspective that does need to be respected. And I do think, at the very least, an accommodation does need to be provided um, over the few next few years. I mean, I will say that some some teacher some schools are already will will probably keep some aspect of remote learning um, going forward because they find out, hey, this is a way to get keep um, students in, involved and engaged when. They've had like issues 
of, of their own personal nature where they couldn't come to the classroom, um, whether it was an, a very serious injury or illness or um, uh, some other discrepancy. So um, I don't think we're necessarily going to get to see um, online learning wiped out completely. Well, yeah, I'm thinking too, and this is pre-pandemic, um, different superintendent now, so we could talk about this. Um, Brandon and I used to work uh, together in Galleon, a small rural area, a little west of Mansfield. I, I remember covering a school board meeting out there, and the superintendent gets up, and he's upset because he says, hey, we've got 300 kids, or maybe it, it was at least 100. Let's say 100 to 300, somewhere in there, a large number of kids that aren't going to Galleon they're going to other districts or they're going uh, they're with some type of state online program or they're at a special needs school, whatever it is. And he's like, that's dollars coming out of our district. We need to get these, these kids back. And I talked to him afterwards. I said, look, you guys don't have the budget. I don't think you have the budget to have special needs. You don't have the budget to have remote learning. And I wish these school districts would look at the broader picture. Obviously, covid Top of the mind right now, <clears throat> COVID's tough. But if <clears throat> schools can develop effective online programs, they can get kids back that have been away from the schools too. So it's good for a comfort level during COVID, but it's also good for after COVID if these public schools want to keep their kids coming back to school. You know, I it, to me, it just makes too much sense. I don't know. <clears throat> Sorry, guys, I am coughing here like a maniac, but um, yeah. Uh, but, but no, I, I, I think it just it just makes sense. So we'll see what happens. And I, again, I'm not saying kids shouldn't wear masks. Yeah, kids should at least wear masks. I, you know, double masking, there's been some reports saying that could be effective. I'm not against that at all. I'm just saying, and I think both uh, Democrats and Republicans have said that. They really push to get kids back to school. Well, it might not be ready for everybody. Uh, I'll tell you this. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but, oh, well, it's Monday. Um, I was a little disappointed. Uh, somebody at a church I go to uh, posted a link. Uh, there was an article saying, you're cheating yourself if you don't go to in-person church. And are you staying at home because it's of the convenience? Or, you know, kind of question why people are staying at home. Okay, I got two special needs kids. I got one kid that doesn't want to wear a mask that has a tough time around any large crowds of people. When I do the remote church on the weekend, it's not because I want to sit at home and not go. There's a lot happening there. You know what I mean? And I, I, I think guys just frustrates me where, yes, thank goodness the pandemic is smaller than it appears to be a couple months ago, but we're still in the pandemic and you know, don't question other people. There's a comfort level, and there's a reason why. It's not because I'm lazy and want to stay at home all day. There's some significant issues going on with kids and other stuff. I, I don't know. Sorry, my rant's over. I apologize for yelling about it. But, no, it's tough. But, um, Brandon, your point, I, I'm interested to see how this thing with the double masking goes off, or off of Bexley. Uh, hopefully there's no uh, protests or anything else like that. I, I think, overall, it's a good thing. I'm just saying we got to offer more options, you know, and I blame the state and sorry, we're talking to governor's office <laughs> about a upcoming interview, but I, I will say, you know, I, I don't like the fact that they demanded that everyone goes back to March 1st. So you're putting people under a scenario they may not be able to follow. So I don't know. Hey, let's talk about something else. Um, 
Craig, you and I talked, uh, what was it, a couple months ago? It was the first week, our debut week of the Ohio Daily Podcast. And one of our first guests is now being questioned by his employment. Um, Columbus Zoo, uh, Tom Stoff, and another uh, senior board member, uh, they were being questioned. Uh, the story was broken Friday by the Columbus Dispatch. Uh, talking about the use of homes at properties nearby the zoo. They're owned by the zoo. Uh, apparently, uh, Tom had uh, in-laws living there, um, and the board didn't know about it, and they're kind of looking into it. Um, yes, it's not a felony, um, but it is a concern because uh, the zoo is a for-profit institution. So uh, we talked to Tom. Uh, Tom seemed like a good guy. I'm not questioning him or anything else, but um, Brandon, it seems like a kind of a serious charge, especially because our tax payer dollars are going to fund the zoo. You know, it doesn't sound like they should do this. Um, you know, I, it's one of these are, I, I don't know. I can't speak to like, like, Oh, whether this was right or wrong. I mean, it's just, um, you know, I guess the zoo will have to determine. I, I, I'm, my questions are, I guess I more have questions really. It's just kind of like, um, you know, what kind of properties are these? Um, I'm sure the dispatch has gone into this on, on those kind of questions. I haven't had a chance to read the article, but I will say questions like, you know, you know, how long have they had these properties for? Um, what was, why did they, how did they come in and, and acquire, how they, how, how did they acquire these properties? Um, you know, and like, who's in charge of them? Who's kind of like, who's responsible to kind of oversee, like who, who's, who's going into these buildings or these properties? Um, you know, um, were there any plans with them? I, I, that's just all these questions I have in my head right now about this story. And, um, it sounds like these are just some properties on the, on the asset list for the zoo. And it's just Tom, will, uh, Tom had some uh, access to them and, um, you know, uh, you know, thought probably used it as a perk or whatnot. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Who does he go to go to ask? Like, Hey, it's okay. If I put the in-laws here, I mean, um, um, I'm not sure if uh, it was even thought of as a big deal. I have, these are questions. I don't. I don't know. I don't have. I don't have much to add to this. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I think you know the zoo's going to review it, and maybe they'll just come out with a okay going forward. The going forward conclusion. Um, right. So um, and um, um, hopefully the in-laws didn't pack, uh, don't have much to pack. <laughs> If, it, if it's the case is the properties were not supposed to be used this way. Um, well, but apparently well, apparently they're out. Apparently they're out. Apparently they're out. Okay. Yeah. They are it, out of property. Yeah. It just to fill in some details. And obviously um, we heard about the story on Friday and Friday's a tough day for news. Sometimes, you know, people are ready for the weekend and they might not get to every story on the website. Uh, apparently the property was gifted to the zoo. So, you know, you, you look at it, like our church talks about this too. You know, it's not just you can gift money. You can say, hey, you know, uh, our church had a big building project. And there were some people that were passing on. And their gift was to say, hey, here's a property to the church. And the church could sell that property. And they used that money to help pay off a building that they were building. Well, the same thing with the zoo. I mean, yeah, you can give money to the zoo. But what you could also do is you could say, hey, here's our property. So if somebody didn't need uh, property on the northwest side of Columbus, uh, it was apparently at least a couple years ago, maybe 10 years ago. So they gifted it to the zoo. 
the zoo eventually sold it. So it wasn't like, you know, they used Brand's tax dollars to buy this house and everything. Uh, it was gifted. They sold it, and apparently was a they sold for two hundred sixty-seven thousand. So apparently there was a profit. Uh, apparently the zoo put in some monies to help renovate the house, uh, make it more livable. But um, I I don't know. I mean, I to me I think it's only public because it's public tax dollars. Maybe it's a question that either. Maybe the rules weren't really explained that well because I see that happening in other jobs where people say, "Hey, no one's using it. Let me use it." They're not intending it for bad purposes. Uh, apparently, they said, "Hey, we're, they're doing repairs there. They can help make it better." I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think it's a worthwhile story. Uh, is is going is it going to cost Tom his job? I, 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 I mean, worse things have happened. I don't know, uh, Craig. What's correct? I, I, oh, I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, go. No, go to Craig. Go to Craig. I'm sorry. Well, I sort of understand where you're coming from on it. I mean, but it it gets to the the point where if you're in uh, an office of, you know, public interest or if you're if you hold public or elected office, you know, even if you were uh, a council member or a commissioner of a county and you you took one penny from that county's budget, that's illegal. And I think that everybody involved here kind of admits that what's going on is not right. Even if it is right, you know, they had this uh, this Pittsburgh professor of law basically saying that it's not a good practice to to rent yeah. to a family member. And a couple of things that kind of stood out was that they never really promoted this place outside of this family. They didn't really publicly promote that this place was for rent. So... It, you know, going back to this idea that maybe, well, maybe they just didn't realize it was a bad, a bad thing to do. Right. Well, if you're not promoting something that you're renting out, it's probably because you know that it's not the right thing to do is to, to allow your family member to take it. And they didn't also disclose how much the rent costs, which probably that should become a public record because if anything to do with the zoo that does receive, you know, tax dollars should certainly, if someone asks that question, they should be able to get that answer because it is public kind of part public yeah. property in this case. That's the, that's the, that's the question I have because the zoo as an entity, um, you know, the city, the city, um, 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 so cities and whatnot always have vendors, you know, they, they contract down. There's like, um, dollars that go to those entities. So, but necessarily do, does that make the entity sort of subject to public records? I mean, yeah, the zoo in a sense does receive levies in the sense from Franklin County. So does that make them susceptible to public records requests in that sense? I I don't know the answer to that. It's, Uh, yeah, it it should. I mean, that's, even if the money doesn't go directly to that house, it's essentially a part of their property in which they use levy money to operate, whether they, invest 99% into the zoo and 1% into that house, or if they, if they have 0% into that house, it's still a public, it's still part of but, the larger but, picture of, of being a but, public entity. The zoo's like, you know, they, they, they still charge a mission at the zoo. They still <clears throat> right. charge a mission at Zumbezi Bay. And then of course, on top of that, there's the wild, the golf club. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of, um, how do you keep all those accounts separate from public? dollars i does that and then i still i'm still still stuck on whether um you know like if you know you, 
like uh, in terms of who do you go to for public records? Like, uh, you go to say, hey, I wanna, I want access to all of all the emails between Jack and Tom. I'm like, you know what I mean? That's yeah. like, I don't know if if that if that would really constitute if they would even be obligated to do that. I, I those are questions I have. I always hate these kinds of um, situ um, um, kind of deals because like um, it's easy to do this with the Columbus Public Library because that's entirely that's they get state state dollars. Sure, and of course they had to pass a levy uh, about ten ten or so years ago just to um, bring back money they lost from the state, and that's clearly a public entity. I just I always think the zoo's structure was always weird, especially in the sense that um, I believe Franklin County folks pay pay tax dollars towards the yeah. zoo NT, but Delaware County residents I technically do not. At least maybe Liberty Township folks might pay for police right. and fire for the zoo, maybe. But because um, I I remember when I was up in Delaware. Um, working there you know um some of the uh, folks uh, i talked to like oh yeah it's 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 so uncool that the franklin county get discounted emissions but we don't <laughs> you guys yeah but but uh, so the tax the tax structure with the zoo has always been weird to me but um yeah i i would agree with you craig i think it this seems susceptible to uh, public records but i don't know how you would go about it well, and i kind of wonder too and this is just a personal thing again i mean i just because I have a personal concern, I, I'm not saying people should get fired over it, but you would think, now this property is adjacent to the zoo, so it wasn't like uh, we gave them a property in California, and, and you know, how do you take care of it? But you would think, like, like if I'm heading up an organization like that, and someone that gives me a property, unless I clearly say, hey, this is going to be the home that the CEO will live in, or this is going to be the home the main zoo handler will live in, I mean, unless you declare that, why are you holding on to the property? Wouldn't it make more sense just to sell it? Because, again, it's intended as a gift to the zoo. Yeah, you can use it for what you want, but unless you're making it, like, unless you tear the house down and make it, uh, or make it into an office area or whatever the case might be, it just seems to be, yeah, another thing they have to take care of, you know? Well, it looks like based on the story that their intention was to sort of, you know, renovate and upgrade the property and then resell it for a profit, which, I mean, I have no doubt that they could probably do that if they, you know, and it looks like he, he sort of favored his in-laws here to to kind of oversee the renovation and then obviously, you know, renting it out to the family. So, you know, it looks like their intent was to never really keep this. If they could sell it for a profit, they would. But I think it just gets back to this idea that, you know, they're sort of creating an unfair housing situation. I know it's one house or two houses, whatever, but they're, they're sort of creating unfair, you know, opportunities for housing in that area by, A, not posting this, this listing and, and, you know, favoring their family over anybody else. And then also not even disclosing how much that family pays for rent, which leads me to believe that they're probably not paying fair value if... They're not willing to say, oh, well, yeah, they're paying X, and X, Y, and Z, and this is what we would charge anybody else, or we would have listed it for X, Y, and Z. But it just, there's a lot of fishy stuff going on. And I know you're, you're, you're right, Brandon, with the whole, like, what's public record, what's not, when there's only, like, 20% of your business that actually is funded by taxpayer dollars. But, you know, that's that's kind of the problem when you get in bed with this taxpayer dollar money that it kind of could open up the whole can of worms for, for being public record, even if it's 20% to 80% that's private and public, you know, 
I don't think you have the the ability to dictate the terms of what's public or not public or, or private or not public, you know, because I'm sure they'd probably say, well, you know, you can't request emails from Jack, Hannah and Tom, or you can't request emails from person X and person Z, but you can request if a, if a tiger gets sick or something. I, I don't know if you can really dictate the terms of what's considered private or public, even well, if they say, I well, can I, can, I can inquire, but I, I don't know if, if this well, is obligated meet that requirement well i just the zoo can say whatever they want they can if you if you send out a request that's public or private you know whether whether they deem it public or private you can send out a request and they can say yes or no like oh yeah here's the information here's not the information but if you if you're as a journalist if you're sending an email and saying i want all the emails between jack Hanna and person x or anybody you you know tom stolf and someone you can you can request it and if they say no then it's up to you to determine with your legal team if it's something that it's a it's worth pursuing and b if it's something that they feel from a first amendment okay. standpoint that they can that you can fight and win so and it I, has to be settled by it has to be the court you would have to bring the court in to enforce it essentially well yeah, yeah i mean like if i email someone and they say well i'm not giving you that and especially if it's like, now I know it's different because police departments are 100%, you know, public record. But, you know, if you email somebody and you say, oh, I, I want body cam footage of the, you know, of the zoo police, you know, trying to rescue someone from the tiger, you know, from the tiger enclosure. And they say, well, no. Well, then you have to determine, well, who pays those police officers? Are Is it private money, public money? And even if they say, well, it's a little bit of both, then it's public. Or even if they say it's private, you can well, say, I would well, probably go to the police. Right. What's that? Oh, would, would I not file that though with the police department? Yeah, but I, don't, I don't. Yeah, and that's true. I, I don't know how their police department works or how they, you know, do their their, <clears throat> their own police department or if they have, you know, an outside agency that comes in. But let's say that you're you're looking for emails and you and you know you want emails between you know Tom you know Tom Stolf and the family members or whatever. If he if he if he conducts that business on a computer that is owned by the the Columbus Zoo, even if that taxpayer money doesn't didn't go to buy that computer, it's still you get into that muddy water of it's still probably public record because they are publicly funded. You know they get public funded dollars every year from these tax levies, and even if a cell phone or a, a computer that they use to send an email or a text message, I still feel like that would be a big fight for a for public records and i would i would definitely you know ask for it and if they say no because it's per, it's protected we're a private business and i would say what you know what my lawyer what does my lawyer think about it you know because every paper that that has anything you know any worth to it will have an attorney that's ready to fight public records for them and you know i think i think this shows the value of like a of having local newspapers because that's this yeah. is where local, local newspapers are valuable is they have the resources to bring in the lawyers and settle these kinds of of uh, the odd the odd case. Uh, I, I I don't know if um, um, dispatch or any other editorial outlet will go for it, but uh, I just that, that this is fascinating me. So well, the, the yeah. good thing is, I think the good thing is too is um, you know because we've gotten into fights, into legal battles, and we're a small small newspaper in Fremont, but you know we obviously have 
you know, a, a Cincinnati attorney that is on retainer for every Gannett paper, or at least for us anyway, he is. And he's a great attorney, Jack Greiner, shout out to him. But, um, you know, we've gotten into legal trouble with people where they don't want to release something. Now, I know that that's an entirely public, you know, entity like the police departments have said, but, you know, if, if I go to my attorney and say, hey, we're looking for this information, they said no, what's the next step? And then that's when our attorney would step in and, and either send him a strongly worded email saying that there's no public records, you know, exemption on this thing, you have to send it to him. And then if he doesn't, one of the great things that I think Ohio has done, I don't know if a lot of other states have done this, but we have the Ohio Court of Claims where basically for what, I think 15 or $20, you can submit a, uh, you know, sort of a, a legal challenge to someone who is not releasing public records. And it doesn't, it doesn't really tie you up in the court system. It goes right to mediation. And it, we've actually done that before where for 20 bucks, we were able to get a public record released essentially that, you know, we could have gone to court for years maybe because the, the county would have wanted to fight it. So maybe that's a, an avenue here for, you know, the Columbus Dispatch or any other newspaper as to if they're seeking out information that they can file, you know, in the, in the Ohio, Ohio court uh, claims court to get, you know, these records released and go to mediation and speed up the process. So you're not spending thousands of dollars on lawyers. Okay. But maybe I'm old school. If they, if they're taking one cent of public money, which obviously they are, why isn't everything public? Exactly. That's what I think. I think everything would, I think even if a computer that they paid for out of their own pocket because they had a great day at the zoo that day, I don't care because the, at the end of the day, they're, they're seeking taxpayer dollars for, for some reason, whether it's to help their you know profits in the winter that are down or whether it's sure. just prop them up and, and help them, you know, keep afloat or whatever it may be. You know, I think when you're when you're partially this, then you're all public record. I, I really do. I, I don't because there's how, how do you determine the gray area of well, what's public versus private? Well, well they're, I think they're a nonprofit, right? They're a nonprofit. Yeah, that's what they're they're, they're considered a non. At least it was said well, in the story. Yeah. I mean, nonprofits can be private, though. I mean, the the thing here's the, the thing is, um, um, I when I was up in working as a Del city of Delaware reporter, um or, you know, for the Delaware Gazette, I mean, the city of Delaware was uh, providing um, dollars or paying paying a, a nonprofit organization to put on events in downtown. I think in that sense, though, the relationship's more of a vendor, a vendor uh, city kind of deal. So maybe in that sense, um, um, even though it felt like the vendor was almost like an arm of the city in a sense, but I think... Um, in that sense, it would be they could keep their records private. Now, if I was asking the city, I want any correspondences you had right. with the organization, they would have to put them Absolutely. up. Yeah. The zoo is in a weird spot because it does receive levy levy money. Um, so um, just like the Columbus Library or any other entities. So I think that would put them, subject them to public records. As, and, as, and Craig's done a wonderful job explaining like how that would hash out if he did wanted to see emails from zoo employees or or any other kind of records. Oh, okay, but get this. Here's what bugs me. I'm a zoo fan. I'm a zoo membership. Don't cancel my membership, Columbus Zoo. But, but I mean, I, I'm trying to say <laughs> what it is. I think you'll see. I think you're safe. You look at that story. I mean, okay, they were talking about concert tickets. Now, the zoo has some good concert events where 
you know, they have some acts come in the zoo and play it. But the story isn't talking about just Columbus Zoo concerts. They were talking about giving tickets to stuff at the Ohio Theater, the Blue Jackets games, the Buckeyes games. Uh, the zoo had, now it was a marketing agreement, but they still spent, the story says, north of uh, 500000 bucks on the suite. You know, and again, this is suite at the Blue Jackets game. This is a suite at the, um, you know, at Buckeye stuff. Okay. Hey, I'll say it. Statue of Limitations is probably over for this. I used to work at White Hat Management. They got so much crap with the state because they were a for-profit charter school that took state tax dollars. Okay. I spent days up at a suite that the school rented out. Okay. Now you might sit there and say, "Well, you know, the guy who ran it was really rich, and he used his own money. He didn't use state tax dollars." Well, how do you differentiate that? You know what I mean? What does he keep a separate check account with you know state dollars and a separate check account? If you did a public record request, it, it, you would determine that you know he went to the you know private checking account. I I don't know. So I I guess what I'm saying, Craig, I tend to agree with you on this. It's just. If we're taking tax dollars, we need to understand what's happening. I'm glad you brought that up too, Chris, because I was kind of oh. thinking right, but right before you said that, I was kind of thinking that, assuming that the Columbus Zoo is a well-run business, well, nonprofit, I should say, assuming they're well-run, I would imagine that they have different line line items for everything that they purchase, much like a business or a you know a, a government entity would. Um, I'm kind of curious if, you know, whatever, I don't know how much money they get from the tax dollars every year or whatever. Uh, I'm sure it's somewhat significant, but I'm kind of curious as to how they divide that. Do they have just a general fund where every money just goes into it and then they disperse it as needed? Or do they have like a line item for every single thing, whether it's, you know, police or tiger enclosures or elephants or whatever it may be. And then they just go line by line by line and say, okay, that tax money goes into this <clears throat> line item. Or if it just goes into general fund, if it just goes into general fund, I think everything they do is public record, even if it's only 20% of their budget. If they do put it into a certain line item and say, that tax dollar money only goes towards X, Y, and Z, then maybe they'd have an argument in court to say, well, we disperse that tax money in a specific area of our business. We don't buy equipment with it. We don't buy, you know, it could be something as simple as just buying uh, food for animals or, you know, paying some staff or whatever. So if they do something like that, maybe they'd have a chance to defend themselves and say, I don't think everything we do is public record. But if they just go into a general fund, I would say everything is fair game for certain. Well, Here's the. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was going to read this paragraph here and just from what the zoo has on their website here. Um, Columbus Zoological Park Association is a 501c3 not-for-profit corporation. Uh, has association board that meets quarterly. Uh, 22 member board of directors meets up monthly to oversee operations. The tax levy receipts received by the zoo are administered by a public appointed board that consists of 18 members, six from the city, six from Franklin County, and six by the Columbus Zoological Park Association. I wonder if that public, how that, so the board also, is public. I'm on, yeah, I'm, I, I, just, I just looked up uh, Columbus Zoo's, uh, they have a press release from, this is from 2015, I guess, when maybe the levy was passed. 
Um, but the levy provides 25% of the zoo's annual revenue or about $18 million. Those funds are used for animal health, nutrition, and staff, facility maintenance, improvements, and replacements in local education and animal programs. So, but, you know, that can get kind of murky, too, when you're talking about facility yeah. maintenance, because guess what we're talking about? We're talking about a house that was for rent that was upgraded to try to sell. Um, another thing, too, is, you know, we were kind of talking about the, how secret they were about how much the, the rent was. You could probably fight in court or, you know, get a public records request going on how much that that family is paying in rent, because if they are, you know, renting in any of that public dollars is used towards, you know, renovating that home or whatever, then anything that's paid to that would be a public record. So um, if if they're only paying like 500 bucks a month when it should be 2,500 bucks a month, I think you could probably find that out through a public records request or again, you know, maybe go through the channels of, of you know, filing a, 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 an Ohio court claims to, to expedite that process. Well, and let's sum up this because I want to get to something else before we close for the day. You know, Tom Soft, and you know, read the article. He's making some decent money. He's making more than you, me, and um, the three of us put together. I'll easily <laughs> say that. If you're taking any tax dollars and you're making that type of money, and and you know, the board, the board member did not know about the arrangement, so it wasn't like, hey, it was a weird arrangement that he had with the board that just didn't make sense. They'll correct it. The board member that the dispatch talked to for sure was like, hey, I didn't know about this. This is kind of weird. And they started an investigation based on the dispatch investigation. You know, dispatch investigated this first. So, you know, Bravo Dispatch, support local journalism, all other great stuff. But what I'm saying is just keep better track of your money because it's our taxpayer dollars. Um, Brandon, you and I worked with a guy, and I'll say it because it was frustrating. They pretty much hired, and it was one of our former reporters, they hired a communications director because they wanted another reporter in the city. Okay, that's fine. I like news. More reporters in the city is always good, but the taxpayers are paying for more reporters in the city. It just, and it stuns me because it's great journalism, but sometimes it's great journalism that the public doesn't understand. Look, your tax dollars, and Graham, with the millions that live in Franklin County, I mean, yeah, you didn't pay that much in the house. But you're paying for houses someone probably lived in for under the normal rent value. And I, I think it, it was great reporting, but I think it's frustrating how the public doesn't understand that, hey, you need to understand where your tax dollars are going. If they're not going for the right place, you need to kind of say, hey, guys, fix it. You know, fix it or else. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see where that reporting leads. It, it, it's a fascinating story. I, I appreciate good conversation. I, I will definitely say that. A uh, couple really small things I wanted to address. Thought it was interesting. HBO Max, um, Brandon and Craig, your members, um, it kind of expensive. Fourteen ninety nine. Uh, there was a report. It talked about this since HBO Max launched. They're talking about creating a cheaper ad supported format, which would be really interesting for HBO because the whole nature of HBO was there was no ads. So. You know, I'm not sure if they've ever added ads into like a Game of Thrones or, or something else like that. Do you guys support that? Are you are you going to the switch the ad supported version when it comes out? No, I'm not going to. I, I don't really I mean I understand where they're coming from. Maybe the first year rollout hasn't been as uh, great as they thought it would be, but 
you know, it's kind of funny because let's say, you know, and I can't really recall how many, you know, specific HBO members they have, whether it's through cable or, you know, people just getting HBO Go back when it was HBO Go. But to me, it, it seems like they're they're wilting under pressure that people don't believe they're worth the $15 that they charge you, which to some people they are. You know, I admit, you know, it it was it took me a while to get into it as well. But I would say this, you know, it, as they build their library, they're going to rival what Netflix does. They, I think they already surpass what Disney Plus does. Now, if you're a Disney Plus subscriber, you're paying $7 a month or whatever, although they're going up in price a little bit. And But you have to remember, too, you're only getting a finite amount of content from Disney Plus. If you know, it wouldn't be surprising in the future if Disney Plus decides, well, we need to raise our prices because we're offering more and more content. I think I think HBO Max should have either tried to fall more in line with what Netflix is doing, which maybe, you know, I know Netflix is 4K, you know, to stream 4K, I think it's around 17 or so bucks a month, which is obviously more expensive than HBO Max. But right now, HBO Max only has newer content that's coming out you know, as it theatrically releases in 4K. But once their their library is built up, which it already is built with, you know, the, the HBO shows itself, and now you're adding in more stuff that they have, you know, getting produced for HBO Max and HBO, I don't think they, I think they could have just stood their ground and said, you know, we're going to keep it there, or maybe we'll, we'll offer more introductory prices or, you know, maybe try to accommodate that way. I don't know that the ad-supported thing will be overly popular, um, with people, because like you said, Chris, HBO has has been sort of the, the the forerunner of not being TV. They're HBO. Well, now they're kind of getting into this this mode where I think they kind of wilted under pressure, and I I don't think they should have. I think they should have stayed the course, continued to produce shows and movies, and say, yeah, Netflix has more than us right now, but that's also because they had a ten or twelve year head start. Now we're catching up to them. And we feel like our products are better than what Netflix offers or what Disney Plus offers or what Hulu offers. It's it's just finding the people that are willing to pay for it. And I think they've done that in the past with just getting HBO. And now you're having HBO on top of all this other content. And then you have more content coming. I just feel like they should have stayed the course on this. I think they see a chance for more money. I don't think they really care if the price point's high or <clears throat> if, you know we're struggling at that. They're, they're saying... Man, if we get ad supported, we can sell ads, and if a million more people buy it for whatever it costs, is, that's millions more bucks. I mean, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's yeah. you know, a bad business strategy because they, you know, they're probably going to capitalize on some people that are interested now because maybe the price points like eight dollars or seven dollars or whatever it may be. But I just feel like they they did it because they felt the pressure of people saying that HBO Max was too expensive when the reality is they kept the same price as HBO add-ons were and they added more content. So I don't really, I don't really think it's a, I don't, I don't really think it's a problem, but I I get it. I think uh, Craig, um, well, he kind of beat me to it on the price thing and he kind of points out there's more value with than um, probably previous HBO offerings in other, however they packaged it. Um, Because I was going to say that when Paramount Plus was making news, like it got added to this, someone, someone outlet did like a, here's your streaming service now available and it's added to the list and, and they ranked them by prices. 
Uh, the top, of course, was HBO Max at a good fifteen dollars a month. Um, and so I was, I was kind of thinking, you know, it makes sense that HBO might offer some sort of um, ad-supported option where, you know, it's kind of like Hulu in that sense. You, you, yeah. you know, you can pay for an uh, pay for the ad ad-supported one, or you can pay a little more without ads. Um, and then in a way, it's kind of been like the a running joke with Hulu because everyone on Twitter is like, "Oh, I've, I've, uh, I've done, I've done, um, I've, um, I'm, I'm being f- physically responsible by paying my student loans and getting Hulu with ads." <laughs> but, um, um, so you know, now maybe they'll now say, I'm, "I get HBO Max with with ads." Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm yeah. some our services don't do that. Either offer for free or a couple bucks a month, and just you know, give a ton of ads. Like Roku Channel. I have a Roku here at home. They have a free Roku channel, which is kind of nice. They got some decent movies on there everything. Well, you see ads every 10 minutes. You know I mean? They, they really spam with ads in the middle of the shows. And, hey, well, it, it makes sense for the stream, <coughs> streaming service. Well, Hulu is kind of like we do the ads before the movie and at the end of the movie when you probably go Turn off. Right yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't mind. I don't, I don't mind the movie. I don't mind the ads. I have Hulu. I have it with the Disney bundle, and I have the ads, obviously. But I don't really mind it, to be honest. I, I mean, it just kind of reminds me of watching old TV, you know, on cable, where you get your ten-minute block of commercial, you know, your ten-minute block of TV, and then you get a commercial break, and you know, and sometimes it sometimes is actually refreshing because rather than pausing a show to go to the bathroom or get a snack or something, you can just let the commercial run out. And by the time you get back, maybe the show's back going. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I hope that they do better, and you know, hopefully they get more subscribers for HBO Max with this. But yeah, you know, I, I just think it was kind of their way of, of wilting under the pressure that people said they're too expensive, and maybe they're just not getting enough signups for what they had anticipated. But you know, it is what it is. I I, I don't know how many people out there are going to be like, I can't wait to watch. Um, you know, ad supported HBO when you have hour long shows like Game of Thrones or <clears throat> The Sopranos or The Wire, are people really going to want to sit through the 58 to one hour show and ads, which would maybe put it into like an hour and 15 minutes or whatever it may be? So, I'm kind of curious to see how this rolls out. Maybe you just get uh, a minute and a half or two minute ad at the beginning of a show and then maybe at the end or maybe once in the middle, but I kind of wonder how they're going to break apart these hour long shows. And, and if people are really going to want to sit through not just the hour long show, but then another 10 minutes in commercials or whatever it may be. Well, I'm guessing that they're not going to give as much content because like, you know, one of their main selling points is you can watch first run movies. Well, you know, Craig that probably won't be a part of it, but I, it'd be, it'd be a tough sell though for me if they don't say, Oh yeah, you're paying eight, nine dollars or five dollars, whatever it may be, but you can't get the Sopranos or you can't get, you know, because then it's, you know, then it's just like, well, why even do this then, you know, because people are going to subscribe for the Sopranos or the Wire or Game of Thrones, you know, not that they don't like the other stuff, but I don't think people are going to jump over to it just because they can watch Curb Your Enthusiasm you know, on ad support, you know, I, I think they'll, they'll want the full library, but they probably won't get first run movies. Um, or maybe they won't get, you know, Saturday movie. I don't know. We'll see what, I mean, it'd be interesting, I mean, interesting to see how they break it down. 
I would totally be get HBO Max with the ads if I can still get the first run theatrical release. Um, that would make it, I think, you know, paying a lower price point, just dealing with a few seconds of ads. That's as long as I get to see the movie, uh, right. as it like anyone else, that's fine. But um, <clears throat> Disney Plus is doing it kind of strange, not strange, but they're, the way they're doing it is, you know, when they're really something on Disney Plus, it's behind a premiere access. Um, yeah. a paywall that you have to pay a little extra more so on top of your subscription um, they did that with Raya and the Last Dragon recently uh, they did it with Mulan but then Mulan yeah. later went to Disney Plus anyway and I got watched Mulan and I'm like ah, this was, I'm glad I didn't pay the premiere access right. which is going to happen the same thing is going to happen with Raya and the Last Dragon I mean you know if you're desperate to watch it right then and there you're going to pay that at that premiere access but I don't remember Mulan really having a very long I know it came out maybe in it, it really didn't have a very long window from when it was premier access to versus when it was on HB or uh, Disney plus. So I'm kind of well, curious if, uh, if it's kind of a bait and switch there from Disney to say, Oh, well you really want to watch this opening weekend. You know, you want to watch Ryan, the last dragon, you know, you're going to have to wait a little bit. Well, you know, if the wait's like 40, 50 days, maybe 60 days, I think most people I was, I, you know, I wanted to see Mulan, but I wasn't going to pay $30 for it. And I would see Ryan the Last Dragon, but I'm not going to pay thirty dollars for it. And you know, I can imagine that by the summer that movie will be on Disney Plus. If it's not, then it's not. But my guess is it will. Well, I think with Milan, no one paid the thirty bucks. I mean, I think that's why they move it to <clears throat> you know just a regular service. Well, it was going it was going to be on the service at any point, any at some point, right. any, because it's a Disney Plus movie and or a Disney movie, and that's where Disney movies go now. But I, I don't recall how long it took from opening weekend to now it's well, free. It, it was quick. It was quick. It was quick. I, yeah. I think part of it is no, no one bought Milan because it was ridiculous. They were charging 30 bucks yeah. for a first-run movie when any other movie that's going right to streaming, you pay 20 bucks for it. I'm not sure why Milan they had a $30 price point. I thought that was kind of crazy. Yeah. But I don't know. I know the yeah. argument. The argument is well, how much do tickets cost? If you go to the movie theater and you see Mulan, you've got two adults. You maybe have kids, and you know it gets pretty pricey, obviously. But I think it's just a tough sell. And I don't know. You know, I don't remember if they released a lot of data about how how well Mulan did on the access on the premier access. Clearly, they want to try it because you know Ryan the Last Dragon could have easily had been snuck in there like soul i mean soul could have been one of those movies where they did the premiere access but they didn't so you know you you kind of wonder what the rhyme and reason is for it because if 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 soul which was really one of their their big tent poles last year was a freebie on 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 disney plus on christmas why isn't ryan the last dragon which doesn't come with as much fanfare as soul did i don't know um muppet oh, show would have been for me in the smoke boardroom <laughs> <laughs> I would I would paid for the new Muppet Show. I'm mean, good thing that was free. I mean I would pay for premium access. Um, a couple questions for Brandon before we go. Uh, Brandon, I know I understand Craig's passion. Uh, Craig didn't say what he's passionate about. Tom and Jerry. What's the over under on how many times Craig has watched Tom and Jerry already on HBO Max? Uh, zero. <laughs> oh. I'll, I'll give you the over under. I'm gonna go under zero, Chris. Under yeah. zero. But again, this is the guy who talks about SpongeBob SquarePants. Well, I will. I, I, I will. I will say this: I, I can't say that I haven't seen anything from Tom and Jerry because I, yeah. 
I wanted to see the 4K stream of it because again, you oh. know, HBO Max offers their new their new theatrical movies that are releasing same day on app in 4K, which uh, is beautiful. I mean, I watched uh, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah on 4K; it looked amazing. So. Um, I will admit that I watched like the opening credit sequence and then I turned it off just to confirm that, you know, we were streaming in 4K. So okay. I can't say that I haven't seen any bit of Tom and Jerry, but um, I will admit, though, too, because it's free, because it's, it, you know, it, maybe it'd be a movie that my wife and I would watch because it's there. You have it for a month. You better. You, it's like a use it or lose it thing. So maybe it would inspire me to watch something like Tom and Jerry, the movie. Um, I love the cartoons. I, I mean, I was I grew up with the cartoons, but the movie just doesn't look like it's for me. So I, I will say that. But uh, but you know, I, you know, you have it for a month. Maybe one of these days, I might say, "Oh, let's just watch it just to see it." I would, man. Could you imagine the podcast? You know, Craig does his review podcast on the weekend. Brandon, uh, maybe him turning the camera on him and his wife as they watch the full <laughs> Tom and Jerry. I, I'd watch that for two hours. We, yeah, we, I will we, say we, this. Last, that, last that'd be a good podcast. Maybe this year, maybe this year, that movie is last year's Sonic the Hedgehog movie. I went into Sonic the Hedgehog last year thinking it was going to be a complete dumpster fire, and it was actually kind of entertaining. So, uh, despite Jim Carrey's best work at trying to make it so over the top and zany that you didn't like it, but Sonic the Hedgehog was actually pretty good last year. So maybe. You know, going back to nostalgia purposes, maybe the Tom and Jerry movie will be good this year. Who knows? Well, Brandon, before we go, though, I, we got to play our favorite game. Um, we tried that with Fox Sports Ohio app, which uh, you were telling me the other day it's not coming out until at least next year. But we tried to guess the price, and I was telling you a media source of mine <laughs> told me that saying it was going to be 10 bucks a, a month was way too low. It's going to be much higher than that. So... What's your best guess for what this HBO ad-supported version will be? I haven't released it yet. We don't know, we don't know how I, much I, it's going to be. Eight ninety-nine or seven ninety-nine. Eight ninety-nine. That feels eight ninety-nine. Feels screams out to me. But okay. um, oh, half, oh, half, half of the fifteen maybe, but not too super half. I think super half sounds low, but maybe somewhere in the middle yeah. of the half and fifteen dollars. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it depends on what they offer too. Like if they offer everything under the HBO umbrella, other than maybe the, the the premium content access to the movies that are being released now, which honestly it looks like this will bypass that because it's probably either going to be late this year or early next year where this ad supported uh, uh, net you know system kind of comes out. So they might even bypass all of the movies. I know the Matrix would be the last movie they'd probably be able to get in December. Uh, but I agree with Brandon. Probably looking at eight ninety nine to nine ninety nine. I think for this, and they can they can easily. I think they can sell it ad supported with that because they can say, well, look, you're getting Game of Thrones now for five dollars or six dollars cheaper. So, I think I think Brandon's probably onto something. Maybe seven ninety nine at the lowest. And so if I can find what eight people to share my password with, I can give for a buck a month. How about that? <laughs> Well, you only get like three or four streams on on, a, on uh, screens at one time, so I don't know if you want to go in with eight people on it because you you might get booted out there if everybody wants to watch at the same time. I wouldn't know. Christmas about buddy's like, "Hey, Brandon, uh, I need it. <laughs> sorry to bug you on a Saturday night. I need to watch this uh, yeah, show. Right. Can you get off? I'm trying to. Can you get out of here? I'm trying to watch Tom and Jerry. Get out of here. Whatever you're watching, I don't care if you're watching that documentary. Yeah. 
<laughs> why would we have a conversation about sharing passwords? I mean, Brandon, oh, come on. I mean, we've never had that conversation before. <laughs> well, Netflix will literally tell you on their on their Twitter feed to share a password rather than try to steal Netflix. So I don't know. Oh, okay. they did, they've done that before where they're like, why don't you just steal? Why don't you just get someone's password like normal people do or something? So we'll have to investigate every service. Yeah. It'll be good. But yeah. We 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 gotta start having these services on if we have any context here because Brandon and I need to figure out what they're doing with the crew if we're gonna have any crew on TV this year. Well, we'll have it on TV. You just have to go get cable at this point. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So AT and T now, Chris. Yeah. Chris loves AT and T. Yes. <laughs> or whatever they call these days. Yeah. Yeah, my wife. I just want TLC, which on any other channel, the improvements give you that for free. And at t now, oh, it's on our $175 package yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. well, we'll figure out. Brandon and I will have discussions off the record. Well, it'll have nothing to do with sharing passwords. We'll put it like that. That'll be good. All right. Well, hey, um, I put it on my headline, so I want to mention this real quick before we go. Uh, we'll talk tomorrow. Um, I guess it came out with the plot line for Space Jam 2, and it's convoluted as all get out. Um, I don't know. I, maybe I'm old man get off my lawn, but I, I was confused on what's going on in Space Jam 2, which you can also go HBO Max. So. That will be on in uh, July. So, yeah, I'll be I'll probably watch it because why not, even though I really don't. I don't know why people like Space Jam so much. Like it was, it's okay. Maybe it was fun when... Maybe it was fun when you were like ten or fifteen, but now, now as like an adult, you kind of watch it and you're like, "What? Like this is actually something that happened in film history." Oh, yeah. the, the opening scene where little Michael's playing some basketball and the, <clears throat> the song is um, R. Kelly song playing in the back. Um, it's just uh, it's yeah, all okay all together. Yeah, I was great. Yeah. It was great. Little <laughs> cameo just for why not? You know? Yeah. Well, we have to have a public event, and if we get the vaccine by May, which, you know, I mean, apparently will be available, will, we, will everyone in America get it? Probably not, but if, if people get vaccinated, we have our public event at Craig's house up in Tremont, <laughs> a double feature, Tom and Jerry, and Space Jam 2. Well, Man, what a night. I can't imagine a better way. Probably the worst life. four hours of my life watching that. Might as well watch Justice League Snyder cut. And then I, Craig, I actually Craig get slimed right Yeah, ten, ten more days until the Justice League Snyder cut. For all for those of you who care about Zack Snyder's Justice League, ten more days and it's out. So the hype. I haven't even seen the original. You don't need to. Um, <laughs> it's 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 terrible. I mean, it, it was bad. And the expectations are that the four-hour cut is not that much better. So, which I'm not surprised. I mean, Zack Snyder's made one good movie ever, and that was uh, Watchmen. So, you know, very good. Well, hey, a lot of great content out there. We gave a extra long show for you, so don't complain. It'll be good. And uh, coming up, it'll be right after we get done talking. Um, Keith Palo from Point Park University will be on uh, to talk to me. Um, guys, I'm excited. I mean, we'll go back to college for this. They are starting a sports communications program. Mm. So you can go to Point Park in, in Pittsburgh, and you can learn either how to be a broadcaster, a social media person for a team, an in-house reporter. And cool. they've got deals where they're working with the Pirates and the Penguins over there. Um, it, it sounds interesting. I mean, I 
obviously I'm too old to go back to college, but if I do a Rodney Dangerfield back to school thing, <laughs> I'm going to Point Park. It should be Man. great. And then uh, I didn't mention this earlier. Over the weekend, we dropped a ton of content out there. Craig had some reviews. Uh, Paul Yancheck reviewed a book. He shared some devotions. Uh, we talked about the old TV show Sledgehammer. There's a ton of content out there for you. Uh, so ch- check it out on our podcast feed. Um, check out our sponsors too. Um, Chase Manly Man Company, uh, a bu- Dropbox, a bunch of great ways of connecting with the show. Um, a- anything else, guys? Before we take off, no, no. You guys, you guys are going to shock me. I'm, I'm going to not ask you one of these days, and you'll be like, "Please, actually, uh, yeah, yeah." yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. So it should be good. Well, as always, thanks for checking out the high end. We'll be back uh, bright and early tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right, we're back here on the Ohio Wind, and we've got Keith Palo from Point Park uh, University over in uh, the Pittsburgh area. Keith, how are you doing today? Good, Chris. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Yeah, definitely wanted to talk to you. Um, we're, we are Ohio-based, but you know we got a lot of communications people here that are interested in sports, and you got a really interesting sports communication program coming up. Man, I, if I was 25 years younger, I'd love to go into it because uh, sports communication is great, and it sounds like it's a great opportunity for people there. Uh, tell me what you guys have there at Point Park. Well, yeah, it is, Chris. I think it's, a, it's great timing because there's so much happening in sports, as we know. Um, especially for opportunities for broadcast opportunities. So, yeah, we're, we're launching a new major and a new program out of our school of communications in, in sports journalism and sports communications and sports broadcasting. Um, and what this will do is we'll help to specifically train individuals who want to get into the various, and it doesn't have to be just, you know, on-air talent or even behind the scenes, but it's everything from shoutcasting and esports, which is a, a very hot topic, um, to the social media aspect, of course, of sports, which as we know, um, is absolutely everywhere that we look, whether it be Twitter um, or Facebook or anywhere that they can promote sports. So this is going to really wrap, you know, this major is going to wrap their arms in a sense of around all aspects of sport communications. And it's got to be exciting. Personally, I'm a, a fan of the Steelers and the Penguins. It sounds like you guys will be able to work with teams even in training opportunities, right, during the classes. Oh, yes, absolutely, Chris. I mean, we have such great relationships, especially with the Penguins and the Pirates. Okay. Uh, you know, the Steelers being the Steelers, we still have some good relationships oh, there. Yeah. Harder to right. break into sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even the Riverhounds, you know, our professional soccer team, and then our own, you know, Point Park University athletics. Uh, all students will call all of those games, whether it be basketball or soccer, track. Um, we have, again, an eSports team, um, so they'll be shoutcasting. So there will be so many different opportunities for sport for students to get behind the microphone <clears throat> and kind of behind the scenes and what producing such a broadcast will be. I work with Gannett newspapers. Uh, that We have 21 daily papers in Ohio, Columbus Dispatch, and say Inquirer. But you notice that in journalism, sometimes those jobs sadly are going away. I'm assuming that you're going to talk about some in-house journalism because I see a lot more of the teams. They obviously they have publications come in to cover their games, but a lot of these pubs have in-house reporting. So are you guys looking at those type of things too? We are. Um, and I think specifically the online publications yeah. that are just right. taking over. And we're seeing that in our own city. 
a town that used to have three newspapers, which now unfortunately barely has one, and most right. of it is online. And you have those former sports writers or sports broadcasters that are going out online um, to promote sports. So yeah, a top a big topic will be um, counting the new wave or or how to break into those online resources in sports because they're becoming so popular. I mean, I find myself and I, I consider myself old and old school um, that I used to love to be able to touch the newspaper and get ink all over your fingers, as we say. Right. The opportunities are just not there. We're all going to the to the websites and to the online versions. So. So, yes, absolutely. That'll be a, a big topic of where we're getting our information. So for people like, you know, there's 40 somethings like me who some, some people in my age brackets like, oh, man, I lost my job. I got to look at something else. Is it a program pretty much for the college age kids or could somebody mid career kind of look back and say, Hey, maybe I want to break into journalism or maybe I need a pointer to kind of go in a different direction in journalism. Like, are, are you seeing like, like mid career adults? Are you looking for those people too? In addition to kids willing to, you know, learn about the business? Chris, I, I absolutely, I think in today's higher ed world, um, just to your point of changing careers, uh, you know, maybe, a losing a job or something and then concentrating or, or recreating that second career. Um, these classes are going to, to be broad based enough uh, that it's not just catering to that 18 through 22 year old, but um, to really, and, and the, the faculty members and so on are going to have real world experience. So you're going to have a lot of those um, kind of classes that can relate to no matter what age you are or, or what level that you're coming into it. It's all about experience and training. Uh, as we know in that industry, getting your foot in the door, making connections, um, and then learning the finer points uh, of broadcasting, like taking a class on play-by-play or color analysts. I mean, you, not everyone can just get behind a microphone and yeah. call a game. It's, it's, we've probably heard them, and it can be pretty god-awful. So that, right. that training ground and getting that experience um, is really so valuable. And it's a four-year program. You know, I was looking for the press release that talks about different experiences you have. Can people take individual classes if they're like? Is there opportunities to be available online, or is this something where you say, "Hey, you need to come here, be part of this for four years"? Because I can see some different people there. I mean, obviously, these in-house experiences you need to be in the Pittsburgh area because you need to be able to go to the games and everything. Could people like audit the class online or maybe pay for an individual class if they like, or is it more for the hey, I want the four-year experience? I mean, the four-year experience is ideal, as you mentioned, uh, but at the same time, again, higher education has had to uh, kind of pivot without a doubt, uh, especially during the pandemic. Um, and offering a lot of these courses and many of the courses online. So as this program continues to build, um, I know that that's taken into consideration and what is the convenience of folks like you had mentioned when you started, those folks in Ohio that would love to take a, a sports broadcasting class um, or a speech, sports media type class, um, can they do it from the, the convenience of their own living rooms? Um, we will continue to develop those courses so that they're different um, offering opportunities, whether it be in-person, online, uh, remote, uh, whether it's synchronous or asynchronous, as we would we have been talking about this a year and a half ago, Chris, all these different ways? No. So, yeah, higher ed has to adjust, and we have adjusted accordingly. So probably now it's primarily for if you could be over there and do that experience, but it sounds like you guys are interested in developing things as things progress. Am I hearing you right? 
Yeah, you are, Chris. I mean, okay. our facilities are great. Our, our Center for Media Innovation, uh, again, has wonderful facilities. Um, you know, our t television studio and our university center, um, again, being able to follow or work with, you know, our athletics programs and our fields and our gyms. Yeah, that's ideal. And the connections with the Penguins that are here at PPG yeah. Pace, um, the Pirates over PNC Park. Yeah, there's all of those. And even our relationships with higher eds, uh, uh, we began pre-pandemic and had a couple of years under our belt, um, you know, with Pitt Studios over at the University of Pittsburgh and the ACC Network. I mean, that is something that's because of our reputation and communications that we're working well with them also. Sounds good. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity. And, you know, hey, Pittsburgh's a good area. I, you know, I'm here in the Columbus area, but there's a lot of great stuff going in Pittsburgh. So it, it sounds like now if you're in the Pittsburgh area, great place to go to. Or if for some reason you're considering a move to Pittsburgh, it's good. But, yeah, even if you're not at the present time, yeah, definitely keep eye on what's happening in Point Park because it sounds like there's going to be a lot more opportunities available for everybody soon, which would be good. Yeah, please uh, keep watching our website for more information that's coming out. Uh, just you can type in Point Park University and it'll get you there. Um, and especially on this exciting new program, we um, we're already kind of doing a lot of this, but now putting a stamp on it that, that this is what this major is going to be. Um, I really believe the possibilities are endless. Yeah, it sounds like a, good, a lot of good things and and you know, you know, grow with the Pittsburgh teams. I, I got to tell you, as a Steelers fan living in Ohio. It's still been tough for me over here, but what happened in the playoffs with the Steelers and the Browns? But we're getting over it. And hey, if you want to cover the Steelers, hey, lots of good opportunities. And not just the Steelers, but you know the Penguins and the Pirates and everybody else. So it should be good. Oh, it is. We're such a sports town, as you know. Yeah. No matter no matter what it is, and and the nature of this city and and the traditions, of course, you know the winning traditions um, here in the city. Uh, it's so easy to follow sports. And people live and die by each one of those sports. I, I swear, if we'd start a Marbles team, Chris, um, it would be covered. So as long as we put a Pittsburgh tag on it, people would be fanatical about it. And we are. Um, and so, yes, definitely an atmosphere uh, that will give you the experience and, and the outlets uh, to dive deeply into any types of sports. Very good. Uh, give me your uh, website so people know where to go to find more information about this. Yeah, it's just www pointpark.edu so that's all it is www.pointpark.edu fantastic well keith thanks so much again uh like i said keith palo from uh, point park uh talked about the new sports communications program and like i said man if i was close to pittsburgh i, I would be there tomorrow but yeah definitely check out if you're close and uh check out as the program develops keith thanks so much for your time and thanks you for, for taking part in your hiring today oh uh, thanks chris uh only the best anytime take care Thank you. Have a great one. All yeah. right. Bye-bye.